With great anticipation, I get to introduce to you Brian Starin, who is from Franklin, Tennessee. Kentucky. Uh, yeah. What did I say? Franklin, Tennessee? Yeah, you wouldn't do that, would you? No. You'd be Franklin, Kentucky. Um, there's a lot of things to be said about him, but I know a lot of you couples will remember the magical demonstration he put on for Valentine's Day. So you're thinking back there uh, into the past and thinking, boy, this is going to be good today, you know. And then you've got some college students who are looking forward to something similar to that for them this afternoon. Um, but I'm going to tell you this. He called himself a sorcerer in the early service. You know what we were supposed to do in the Old Testament with sorcerers? Anybody know? <laughs> supposed to stone them, right? Don't do that. But let me tell you the difference between a, a sorcerer <laughs> and Brian Starin, okay? He's fun. He's delightful. He, if, you, if, if he gets really tickled, he'll snort. And uh, you'll, you'll be hearing that maybe even in the sermon. I don't know. But um, a sorcerer thinks that he fools you by his own cleverness. Uh, a sorcerer thinks he may have some power from weird places to do neat things if he fools himself long enough. But Brian Stern doesn't believe that. He can do magic, but he knows where real power is. And when he preaches, you can tell he knows the source of real power is not in him. And today, the message he's got is really important. For some of you, this will be a really important message because it's going to reframe something that's already happened in your life, and it's going to cause you to look at it different, and that is going to be so significant, a light's going to come on. For some of you, maybe nothing like that's happened yet, but something will. Something one of these days will happen, and he's going to equip you with the ability to be able to look at it different. He is a living testament to a very powerful reality he's going to share with you, and it's going to be well worth your effort to pay attention. I, I love him for his magic. I love him for that ability, but I love him more for his ability to take the real power of God and make a difference. Today, your sin can disappear, but not because of some sleight of hand in him, but by the power that God has that's always available to you, and you're going to hear about that power today. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come before you. We come anticipating something. We come in need of something. Sometimes we don't even know it. Sometimes we're not aware of what our needs are, and, and your word reveals them to us. And sometimes we know full well what they are, and we come begging for a word. And this morning, it doesn't matter which camp we're in, we're going to be hearing a word from you, from your servant, Brian. And I pray that you give him a clarity of not only the point he wants to make, but fill him full of emotion and insight about this occasion he's sharing about and make a real close connection through your spirit in us and your spirit in the word to trust that we can know some things even beyond our experience. I pray that you bless him and I pray that you bless us and that we're attentive today, that we're able to really focus on what he's saying and that he's able to powerfully convey what's in his heart today. Be with him, use him, use him mightily among us and change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Brian, preach. Thank you for making that clarification, because after the first sermon this morning, there were people on the parking lot picking up rocks. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I'm here, and I survived. I appreciate the invitation to be here with you. My wife would normally be with me, but due to some uh, uh, 
uh, unforeseen family circumstances, she's had to stay back in Franklin and attend uh, to some family matters uh, early in the morning. Jonesboro has a special place in Carol and Mai's heart. Uh, in my travels around the world, we've probably spent outside of Orlando more time visiting and being a part of Jonesboro than any other city in the country. We have dear friends uh, who live in this city, not just here in church, but out, out uh, side of the building. We have good friends that are here, and we love this city. We love the town. We love the people here. So for me to be able to come back to Jonesboro was, was a treat, and we appreciate the invitation. I think highly of Spencer and Michael. They are God's servants, and we are thankful to have them as, and the abilities that they have working in the kingdom. And I'm sure that you as a family here at Valley View cherish them as well. But for the events of July 7th, 1991, I would not be here with you today. It was a Sunday morning. Let me frame that Sunday morning in relationship to where everyone in our family was. My wife and I lived in Dyersburg, Tennessee. That's our hometown. We have two small boys at the time. They were two years old and four years old. My in-laws, Carol's parents, lived in Dyersburg as well. My parents lived in Meridian, Mississippi. My sister, my only sister, and her husband lived in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. He was in the Navy, and at that time he was deployed to the Mediterranean. There's where they lived with their two-year-old daughter, Alex. Because he was deployed, my sister was visiting my parents in Mississippi, and July 7th, 1991 comes along. That Sunday morning, Carol's parents had invited us over to their house for breakfast before church. My father-in-law made the best gravy that went on biscuits. You never turned down that invitation. When he passed away several years, five years ago now, he took the recipe with him. Mm, I hate that. But we were there for breakfast. We were cleaning up the dishes, getting ready to go on to church, and a police car pulls up in the driveway. Dyersburg being a small town, if I wasn't at home, the police might have had a good guess about where I was, and sure enough, they found me over at my in-laws. The officer pulls up in the car, and I meet him at the door. I said, good morning. He said, what's, I said, what's going on? And he hands me a slip of paper, and on that piece of paper, there's a telephone number. It says, you need to call this telephone number. And I said, what, what's going on? He said, just call the number. So I went inside, and I called. It was to a sheriff's dispatch station in Mississippi. I told them who I was. I remember the lady's voice. I can hear it right now as though it was yesterday. I said, this is Brian Starin. I was told to call this number. She said, yes. She said, last night there was an accident. Your mother, your father, your sister, and her two-year-old were all killed by a drunk driver. And the next words out of her mouth, as cold and sterile as they were, were, 
how soon can it be before you're here to identify the bodies? A Sunday morning, just like any other Sunday morning. And our world is turned upside down. So I got off the phone, dealing with the initial shock of what had happened. And I start making the phone calls that I have to make. My dad's parents, my maternal grandmother, aunts, uncles, cousins, etc. And I've got a four and a half hour drive that I have to make now from Dyersburg to Meridian, Mississippi for the daunting task of going to the morgue and identifying the bodies. I never blamed God. Now let me clarify that. God does not produce evil. God is love. God is not the author of bad. But I questioned God. See, there's a difference in blaming God and questioning God. Even throughout Scripture, people questioned God. Abraham and Sarah, Gideon, even Jesus. Why have you forsaken me? Questioning God is very different from blaming God. So I didn't blame God. We make the phone calls to our relatives, and then we call some ladies from church so that they could come over and they could be with our boys while we went to Mississippi. Carol and I and her mom and dad went. We loaded up the car and we took off. I remember pulling into the coroner's office, shaking because of what I was going to have to do. I didn't want to get out of the car. Fortunately, as we were literally on the parking lot, my parents' neighbors came out. They met us. They had made the identification for us so that I didn't have to go in there. Under advice, their advice, as well as that of the coroner, I didn't need to see them because it was that horrific. So as I sat there and composed myself, I remember sitting at this desk and he comes out with a, uh, an envelope, a manila envelope, and he hands it to me and this is the contents of what they retrieved. Wallets, jewelry, rings, wedding rings. I wear my father's to this day. And then we went from there to their house. They live out in the middle of nowhere. You go to the end of nowhere, you turn left and go three more miles. They lived out in the country. We got out to their house. The dogs met us on the driveway. 
and we went inside. The dishes were in the sink, clothes in the dryer. They were expecting to come home. They had been to a 4th of July concert and they were on their way home. The highway patrol estimated that the man that hit him, the young man that hit him, was going about 120 miles an hour. They literally didn't know what hit him. All four were killed instantly. The young man had been drinking. His cousin was in the car with him. The cousin had not been drinking. They were down the side of an embankment, not knowing what the damage was up on the top of the road. So the driver gets the idea, tells his brother, or his cousin, excuse me, you hadn't been drinking, let's switch seats. So when the police get there, they haul him to the hospital as a precaution. And a couple hours later, as they're drawing blood and doing what they need to do, the police tell them at the hospital, you realize, sir, that you're going to be charged with at least vehicular homicide of four people. That's when the cousin changed his tune. He said, wait a minute now. It was him. They drew his blood, and his alcohol level was, was elevated, but it wasn't elevated enough because five or six hours had worn off. Nonetheless, they charged him. More about that later. So we go on with this funerals. We go on with the task at hand. My family is gone. I have my wife, my children. I have a couple grandparents still, but my family's gone. John 16:33 is one of my favorite verses in scripture. Jesus speaking to his disciples says this. I tell you these things because in this world you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trials. Things aren't always going to go your way. Jesus said, "I'm not promising you a rose garden. You're going to have heartache. It's going to hurt." You're going to have tribulation. But there's not a period at the end of that sentence. There's a comma. And the next word is, but. Be of good cheer. Excuse me? I'm going to have trouble. There's going to be heartache. Things are not always going to go my way. And then you say, but be happy. He says, because you're in me and I've overcome the world. Our thinking cannot be about this world. Jesus certainly wasn't thinking about this world. He was preparing for eternity. And he was preparing a place, a way for you and I and every other human being to also focus on eternity. He's provided us a way to look at glory. 
be of good cheer. You're going to have trouble. Be happy. We're not about all this stuff. Let me tell you, folks. Every morning we get up and we get to make a decision. I'm either going to glorify God today or I'm not. It's one or the other. Because God calls us to be all in. A hundred percent in. God can flip the script in your life. There are people in this auditorium who are going through great pain. There are people in this auditorium who are having issues with family. There are people in this auditorium who are having issues at work. There are people in this auditorium who are dealing with illness, with sickness. I get it. God knows it. And God can rewrite that script. He can flip the script on your pain, on your sorrow, on your aggravation, on that weight that you're carrying. He can and will flip the script. God does not want evil. He can make it good. He will make it good. Romans 8.28 says, For we know, this is what I love that verse starts off with, I know. I know that 2 plus 2 is 4. That's a fact. I know that. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that all things work for good for those who love the Lord and who are called according to His purpose. Now, the hardest part of being a Christian, I'm going to let you in on a secret, especially the young folks, well, even the older folks, we need to know this. Faith. I can say I have faith all day long. But to really step out on that faith and act on that faith, that's what God wants. God's ways are not our ways. His understanding, not my understanding. Who knows the counsel of God? Brian certainly doesn't. I don't know it. I'm not going to profess to know what God's thinking. I have no idea what God's got in store. But I do know this, that it's going to work out for good, whatever it is. See, whatever issue you're facing right now in your life, whatever calamity may come your way, if it hasn't already, like Spencer said, it's going to happen. We don't get to go through life unscathed. Some of us are going to get hit a little bit harder than maybe somebody else. But that's okay. Because God's bigger than anything that Satan's got. Satan may have you down on your knees thinking there's no tomorrow. God says, watch this. So let me tell you about my story. About two or three years after this event, we had an insurance agent in our congregation. He was a deacon as well. And he said, you know what, Brian? He says, I got an idea. He says, we are having this conference, this gathering of insurance agents, and I would love for you to come and talk to them. Talk to them about not the, 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 the needs for insurance and stuff like that. He wanted me to come and talk to them on a customer relations kind of footing. 
You've been through all this in the last few years. You've dealt with car insurances and homeowners insurance and all, all the stuff. What were the good things? What were the bad things? Why don't you come and kind of talk to us so that we as insurance agents, excuse me, can be better insurance agents as far as the customer service goes? I said, well, I hadn't thought about it like that, but I said, I'll give it a whirl. So I put down some thoughts on paper and some of the stuff I had gone through, and I went and I talked to this group of insurance agents. I found it very therapeutic that I was able to talk about this situation. So then he says, you know what? That was really good. He says, why don't you mention that? Why don't you build, do it, say it to the youth group. And I said, okay. I said, I'll do that. So I got some stuff together, and I started talking to the youth group about it. And then another youth group called me and said, come and talk to our youth group about that. And then before you know it, I'm speaking at Uplift, at Harding, and Rush, and, and Horizons, and, and, and I'm speaking at area-wides, and CYCs, and everything else that's going on. I'm all over the country speaking and telling my story. I'm thinking, wow, God, this is it. You have flipped the script on this tragedy, and you have now put me in a position to be able to go out and tell other people how awesome God is. You've now given me a platform to stand up and say, here's my story, but you know what? In the grand scheme of eternity, this is, this is potatoes. I'm able to talk about eternity and put it in, frame it in that kind of a way. I was at Harding University. I was speaking at Uplift. Any of you have been, you know there's a couple thousand kids sitting in the auditorium. Right after this is going on, I speak, auditorium's emptying, and this young man comes up there, and I see him kind of milling around the crowd, and as the crowd's dispersing and gone, I'm standing there, and he walks up to me, and he wants to shake my hand. He says, i got to tell you, thank you. And I said, well, tell me, what's your name? He told me his name. I said, where are you from? He said, Idaho. How did a kid from Idaho get to Searcy, Arkansas? It was a girl. She said, oh, why don't you come and visit us for the summer? And he, he was on the next plane out. <laughs> so he's down there, but he says, you know, he said, that's why I got here because this young lady invited me. He said, but that's not the reason I'm here. I said, why are you here? He said, I'm far enough away from home, and I'm here to commit suicide. And the weight of what God had put on me at that point was amazing. God said, your story, you can choose to serve God or you can choose to blame God. You can glorify God or you can ignore God. This young man had looked at it because his mother passed away from cancer after everyone in the church was praying for her fervently, she still died. And he says, how can God love anybody if after all those prayers she still died? He said, That's, he said I can't do that. I said, or can you take that situation of your mother passing away and go talk to another teenager whose mother's passed away? And can you glorify God that way? And he said, I'd never thought of it until you said it. 
I stayed in touch with him for many years after that. He went back and he did just that. He flipped the script on that terrible situation. And he went out and he talked to other teenagers about committing suicide, the thought process that he was going through, but then the thought process of how to glorify God in that. I praise God and thank God every day that that young man came into my life. Because that told me at that point, Brian, your tragedy, God has flipped the script. Satan may have thought he got one over on you, but God says, no, watch this. God can do a lot. He does a lot. Now to the young people, I want to tell you this. And listen closely. I truly understand why or how anyone would turn to drugs or alcohol if they were dealt the cards I was dealt. I get it. You want to escape the pain. It hurts. It, I want that to numb. I understand. I don't agree with it. It's not the right decision to make. Let me make that perfectly clear. And the reason I say that is because absent of a church family, absent God who is bigger than all of this stuff, what have we got? We got nothing. We don't have hope. We can't have joy. We can't have a continuum of looking forward thinking God's going to make something awesome out of this situation. That's where we as a church family have to lift each other up, encourage one another, make sure that we're there for one another, bear one another's burdens, cry when someone cries, rejoice when they rejoice. That's the love that gets each one of us through because as I said before, not one person in this auditorium is going to go through life unscathed. But isn't it awesome to know that you've got 500 people sitting around you right now that are going to be there when Satan kicks me? And if you don't believe even just my story, let's look at the greatest story that has ever been told in that of Jesus Christ. On Friday, Jesus was nailed to the cross. He had been telling his disciples and those that he would preach to that I'm going to get to live. This is going to go on for eternity. If you drink of my waters, you're never going to be thirsty again. You're going to live forever when you're with me. And then he's nailed to a cross. And those final words were, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the Spirit. He died. In my mind, maybe it's a weird picture. I got a lot of weird pictures in my mind. I see Satan tap dancing when Jesus says, it's finished. Because Satan's thinking, here all along, he's been telling everybody about how he's going to die, and he ain't gonna, he's not going to stay dead, he's going to live, and now he's deader than a doornail. I win. And probably for about two and a half days, he was probably like, But then God flipped the script for eternity <laughs> because the greatest words ever spoken were when they came in there looking around and the tomb's empty and the angel says, why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? And Jesus was alive. 
and Satan lost forever. In three days, God flipped the script for eternity. He does, he will, and he can flip the script in your life. A part of this story is about forgiveness. Because there came a time that I got to sit in a courtroom with the fellow that killed my family, closer than you and I are sitting, and he looked at me and I looked at him, and I was able to give what they call a victim's impact statement. I was able to tell him whatever I wanted to, unfettered, what I thought of him. Judge said, you can use any language you want to talk to him. The court's all yours. Go. And I told him what he had done to our family. I told him how our sons are going to grow up without really knowing their grandparents on my side. I told him what holidays were going to be like. I told him what it was like. And it's the little things. At Christmas every year, my dad and I, and I, I, this has been some time ago and it still hurts. We would go through the tool department at Sears and look at all the craftsman tools. There was always something that we just had to have that we didn't have. And we always bought a tool. I told him that I said, I won't get to do that with my dad anymore because of what you did. But I forgive you. Because, see, the forgiveness that I offered him has nothing to do with him. The state of Mississippi could not do anything to him that would change my circumstance. He was going to go to jail, and I was going to walk out of that courtroom and pick up the pieces of my life. That may be the only chance that human being has to see Christianity. And if God can forgive Brian for all of my trespasses, when I was baptized and those sins were washed away, and God says, I forgive you, therefore you got to go out and you got to forgive other people. It's not just the little things God says. you got to forgive them for the big things too. And that man sat there, and he took my forgiveness. He never said a word to me. He never wrote me. He never acknowledged it. But that's okay because I can go to sleep and put my head on the pillow knowing I did what God wants me to do. So now let's back up. I'm speaking at all these youth events, speaking at all these things. Our youth minister at the time told the elders, this was January, told the elders, I'm going to give a six months notice, we're leaving, we're leaving youth ministry, and he and his wife are going full-time work in the mission field. So they accepted his resignation and gave him six months to transition out. About 30 days after that happened, I got a call from one of the elders, and they said the elders would like to meet with you. 
that's usually not a good thing. So Carol says, what do you think this is about? I said, I have no idea. So I went to the meeting with the elders, and at the time, as Spencer alluded to, I am a, a performer, and I was speaking at all these events, but my job, for the sake of a better word, i got to call it something for the IRS, um, was that I was an entertainer, and I'm traveling the world performing, and they call me into the office, and they said, you know that Chris is leaving, and I said, yes, and they said, we got an idea, we've prayed about this, and we've thought about this, we've got to ask you a question, I said, what's that, they said, have you ever thought about doing youth ministry? I said, no. And they said, you realize you're doing youth ministry now. You're just doing it all these other places and all these other congregations. You're just not doing it here. He said, you're doing youth ministry. And I hadn't thought about that. And they said, give it some thought. We'd like you to be the youth minister. So I went home and I told Carol, I said, Carol, I think they got into the wine. <laughs> she said, what they want? They want me to be the youth minister. Well, we laughed. And then we prayed. And we prayed a lot. And I thought, you know, God's flipping the script still. And the rest, as they say, is history. And we took them up on that offer, and we absolutely love dealing with young people. So I would not be here today, but for the events of July 7th, 1991. I would not have the opportunity to have met people like you folks, like Spencer, like Michael. God has taken my life on a journey that is just absolutely amazing. Co-convention director for Lads to Leaders in Louisville. Who'd ever thought? The director of the Ministering to Youth Conference, of which Spencer's a speaker, and Michael comes every year. A conference for youth ministers and those who deal with kids working all over the brotherhood. And none of that would have been possible but for God saying, hey, you know what? We can take that bad situation and watch out, Satan. I've got bigger plans. I posted something on Facebook the other day, and I just love this saying that I want to be the kind of man that when I wake up in the morning and I put my feet on the ground, Satan says, uh-oh, he's up. My faith right now, since 1991, is a faith that it'd be pretty hard to shake it because I've seen what God can do. Did it happen overnight? Absolutely not. Did it happen just like... Daniel, the fifth chapter, would be awesome if it would happen today. If you're familiar with the story, they're trying to figure out what the dreams mean, and the hand comes out and writes on the wall and tells it. Wouldn't that be awesome? If God said, God, I don't know what you got in store, but let me know. You are going to be a youth minister. I, 
But it doesn't happen that way. Going back to my statement, the hardest part of Christianity is faith. And knowing that God is there. And that I can step out on faith because He's going to catch me. I've never heard from the person who killed my family. He spent six years in jail. That's all. I'm sure he got out. He went on his life. But I went on with my life. But I went on with a life more abundant. Now let me stop all that and tell you this. My mother, my father, and my sister, none of them were Christians. We tried to talk to them. I tried to explain to them what Christianity was and how to become a Christian and what that means. See, I was raised in a home, not that it was an ungodly home, but I was raised in a home where all good people go to heaven. You do good to others, and you'll get to go to heaven. That was basically your in. And until I started dating Carol and visiting the Church of Christ and hearing things that I had never heard before and then start studying about those things that I had never heard before, I realized that that thinking was in error. We never could convince my parents and my sister that that was in error. So I had to bury them in an unsaved condition. So then I add that to my story. And then I can add it this way, that if that story can cause one person to repent and have their sins washed away, then it's a good story to tell. Because nobody needs to go into eternity like they did. This morning, we have that opportunity. Every single person in here is dealing with something. But now it may be that time that you're dealing with something and you say, you know, God, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what's going on. My life is in shambles. You know, God, what I'm dealing with. And I would pray, dear God, that you would be with me. This body is here to strengthen you in your faith, strengthen you in your resolve to follow God and to live closer to God. When it absolutely, in our human mind, thinks this is the time that there can't be a God because I'm in a tunnel and I'm just seeing nothing but darkness, I promise you, there's light. Because there for a while I sat there and I couldn't figure out what in the world to do. And then God flipped the script and rewrote the story. And He's waiting to do that for you today. We're going to sing a song. Today may be the day that you just need to say, God, I'm going to choose 
to glorify you daily. I haven't been doing that. I've chosen to be bitter or mad or upset at things that I now cannot control, but God, in those bad things, I can glorify you, and today this body wants to pray with you. They want to make those things right in your life. There may be some that are walking outside of God's light and you're saying, you know, now is the time I want to come back into the fold. Or today may be the day that there's someone here that says, I've never had my sins washed away. And today is the day that that can happen. And you want to make that known and leave out of this building with a renewed spirit of love, of care, but knowing that all things will work for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. If you have any need, won't you come as we stand and as we sing? Oh, for a closer walk with